VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it's uh, yeah, Bruiser Hunter McNally. Bruiser Hunter McNally. And, um, oh my god, it's just me. That's right. It's Holden Talks for 30 minutes. Some of you guys get that reference. Uh, I will probably be talking for 30 minutes or more, God knows, uh, solo, because you know what? This is, let's, let's take us back to a year ago, all right? Uh, a year ago, almost to the day as of this recording, uh, Winnie, uh, Winnie turns one on the 14th of August, uh, turned one. She's, she's now well into one, dumb, uh, uh, if you're listening to this, even right when it drops. And this time last year, I was doing a bunch of research for uh, a little TV show we all know and love called South Park. And I thought it was going to be my final hurrah before I uh, would go off into paternity leave and my life would change forever. Well, my life definitely changed forever and I definitely went off into paternity leave. But wouldn't you know it, the baby came early. Uh, It was actually more, she was induced, but uh, Lexi went in for a check-in. I was in the middle of a 12-hour long stream to raise money, to go off into paternity leave, to kind of have a last big stream before I went off into paternity leave. Um, and my life would change forever. Uh, and in the middle of that, during a game of Quiplash with the boys, uh, the money pit is what is now what it's called in my Twitch stream, Lexi walks in, tells me, um, we're having this baby today. And you can watch the live reaction of that on my uh, Twitch archives. I think just look up clips in Twitch. And you can see me uh, react so bizarrely to that information. I try to keep playing the game. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I think I would say shock was definitely a part of that situation. But... Uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to do this episode, and I was bummed, because you know what? I did a lot of fucking work on this episode. I took a ton of notes that I have right here in front of me that I've dusted off and am ready to comb through. I was like, su- I'm a huge fucking South Park fan. I-, I mean, I will say, you know, I have not seen every episode. I've definitely, you know, way more familiar with the earlier years of South Park. Uh, I mean, the damn show has just kept going and going and going at this point. But every time I would check back in, I would be pleasantly surprised to see that unlike other shows that have run for this long, um, animated ones included, you know, uh, it really falls off after a little while. Whereas South Park always seemed to be that dependable thing that I could come back to time and time again and really enjoy and really enjoy it in the here and now, because it was always just so right on top of the controversies and big news stories of the day and did such a good job lampooning them, par- parodying them. And, um, you know, we, we had that constantly throughout our lives. And I just it's just been a bit of a comedic um, background soundboard uh, for all of these ridiculous things, you know, that we've had to deal with all through pandemic, all through like whatever cancel culture shit or the PC kind of thing. Um, you know, Kanye West, uh, they nailed Kanye early. They were one of the earliest people to uh, get Kanye. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise and the like, just always been there to just take a big shit on <laughs> any celebrity or 
dumb news story or what have you. And that was always like pretty wild to watch and enjoy. And then just their own storylines outside of that in their own right were fantastic. You know, I mean, uh, just right out the gate, you know, you with the alien stuff. I mean, the part where, you know, with Cartman getting that, <laughs> what <laughs> the kid to eat his parents. Was it his parents? Oh, Jesus. Now I'm at a blank. Uh, now, now I'm at a loss, right? But anyways, uh, yeah, cannibalism. Um, just so many funny, you know, great characters. Towley. I remember like losing my mind at Towley with my brother in, um, when I was, I think, in high school, maybe middle school. Um, a weed smoking towel just was so right on the money for our humor and what we were maybe into at that time. Uh, before that, Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo, just, I just, I, especially through like middle and high school, you know, it, it was such a perfect companion the, for, you know, those, those weird ass years and, uh, really helped realize like you can really just kind of laugh at every dumb, stupid thing happening. Um, and, uh, they were going to show you how also, uh, I'm, I'm, my God, the movie, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. I mean, I can't tell you. There's probably like three movies that I like very strongly remember. I'm Actually, I'm registering four right now off the top of my head that I very strongly remember like leaving the theater. My stomach hurt. My eyes were watery from laughing so hard. Like one of the, you know, just the greatest movie experiences ever for me, like movie theater experiences, uh, when it came to comedy, at, at least. That would be Dumb and Dumber, Tommy Boy. Weirdly enough, I don't think it holds up quite as well, but I was just, I was young. My brother got me in to see it. Um, you know, I was seeing it with him and his, the older kids. I felt like a cool kid, and I just found it hilarious. It was uh, Don't Be a Menace to South Central While You're Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. Um, I remember renting it later and being like, this wasn't that funny, but that's the power of the movie theater, you know? And definitely what I do think actually really holds up uh, and is so strong, South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, which for many, many years I said was my favorite musical of all time. I think that was probably because for a while I was like a musical hater and this was like a cool musical to like, in my opinion. But actually, legitimately, I love the music in that movie. And that, of course, I do. Because I come to find out Matt Stone and Trey Parker, huge musical nerds. Of course they are. I also loved Cannibal the Musical and all that stuff. So, I mean, I was no stranger to that, too, because I was like went through my high school trauma phase and got really into that as well. But regardless, uh, yeah, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Cut, you know, and of course it would go on to make uh, Book of Mormon as well, which uh, is also legitimately one of my favorite musicals of all time. It just goes to show, I mean, but that was on top of just like, man, when Fuck Your Fucking Face Uncle Fucker ripped out, went off in that movie theater like a bomb at the beginning of that movie, I mean, it was surreal. Like, I just ne had never heard that level of profanity in a film, in a movie theater, sharing a movie theater with a bunch of people. I had just, I was so shocked by so many things in that movie. I mean, all the stuff with Saddam Hussein and the devil, and there were just so many over-the-top, like, offensive, crazy moments that I just couldn't believe I was seeing in a movie theater. I was just so thrilled that this was happening because I've just had never experienced anything like it. And that was that's the magic to me of South Park. Like they get away with so much because of the kind of collagey, choppy, you know, weird like uh, animation approach. Um, the, it being like elementary school kids uh, that it's centered around, uh, you know, it being animated in general just allowed them to get away with so much more intense, like um, dare I say edgy humor and uh, you know, but, but it's also a testament to, to the comedy stylings, the of Trey Parker, Matt Stone and all the people that they've brought in and worked with, you know, Bill Hader was, I know I was written on some seasons, um, a bunch of great, great talents. And so, you know, it's not just the, those other facts. It's the, they're good comedy writers. They are. And and they are insatiable. They are prolific. It is unbelievable how many seasons of this show we've gotten and how it just, 
more and more and more we continue to get, uh, even today, with their new giant million-dollar deal that they made. And as we're seeing the content uh, come out from that um, for a while. But regardless, I fucking love South Park. It broke my heart that I could not do the episode for uh, paternity leave. I mean, my heart was filled with love for a new fresh baby in the world. So, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. But in the back of my mind... I felt I always wanted to do this, and we had this vacation coming up, and I figured, why the hell not? I put all that work, and I have all these notes right in front of me, dusted off freshly, so why not do the lost episode of South Park by one Holden McNeely, solo, free-flying. Let's just see what happens. I hope uh, my voice can carry me through this. I hope uh, this comes off well, that this is enjoyable for you guys. I'm sure I'm going to repeat things from the episode Jake has already done with one Mike Lawrence. Fantastic nerd of mouth reunion. Love, Always love to see it. Big love for Mike Lawrence. And uh, I'm sure, hey, I know that episode's great, but uh, how about here? Let's hear the other side. And maybe I've got some factoids in these mini pages of notes that they weren't able to get to. I definitely have some quotes. I'm sure I have some quotes because I'm the quote guy. So you'll definitely get that. And uh, you know what you can do is maybe you could just splice this with that episode, listen to it all at once, and you'll get the final full true South Park episode. Release the Wizard and the Bruiser cut. So here we go. Let's get into it. South Park. South Park is an animated sitcom created by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, which has been airing on Comedy Central since 1997 and up to today. The show is centered around four boys, Stan, Kyle, Cartman, and Kenny, and their many adventures in the Colorado town of South Park. Trey Parker, let's start with him. Parker was born in Conifer, Colorado, and what seemed a pretty normal upbringing, he was super shy as a kid and did okay in school while watching a ton of TV starting in the third grade. He loved Monty Python, whose animation contributions from Terry Gilliam actually does look quite a bit like early South Park. If you think about it, the giant foot coming down, all that kind of the way it just all is, yeah, various uh, color paper uh, drawings uh, placed on top of the other uh, for great comedic effect. And the jankiness is what leads to a lot of the comedy there. He put on a sketch, uh, Trey Parker, that is, for his school's talent show in the sixth grade titled The Dentist, which involved so much fake blood that his parents were called in. Parker said of the incident, the kindergartners were all crying and freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> My kind of guy. I mean, it reminds me of um, the Adams family, right? When they do the Shakespeare scene and bleed all over the audience. I love that shit. On weekends, he made short films with his group of friends at the age of 14 using a video camera his father bought him. Also around this time, he got really into musical theater and joined a community theater group outside of Denver. His first role was in the best little whorehouse in Texas, because of course it was. Uh, again, Early, early obsession with musicals and musical theater, and I have to love it because you always think of them as like this, like rock and roll kind of comedy thing. This like edge, you know, these kind of guys wouldn't love fucking, you know, uh, guys and dolls. You know what I mean? These guys aren't these, you know, these guys aren't obsessed with the music, man, right? Well, that would be untrue. They love that shit. With his buddy David Goodman, around the age of 17, he put out a comedy music album called Immature, a collection of love ballads from, for the 80s man. He played, a, uh, he played piano and was also the president of the choir council at his high school. He was popular. The lead in school plays regularly as well as prom king. I mean, he did well, and he has the look. I could see it. He's not, you know, he, he seems outgoing. He's got he's got like this bro-y kind of, yeah, kind of works for Colorado too. I, I Definitely. I dare I call him a hunk or a himbo. I don't know, but, uh, you know, I could see it. After graduation, he did a semester at Berkeley College of Music before transferring to University of Colorado at Boulder, where he took a film class and first met, bring him on in, roll out the red carpet. That's right. It's time for Matt Stone to enter the picture. Matt Stone's father is Irish American and his mother is of Jewish heritage and their names are Gerald and Sheila. Kyle's parents are named after them. He uh, grew up in Littleton, Colorado, a suburb of Denver, and he, too, loved music and entertainment, and this made his father concerned that he would, quote, become a musician and a bum. So he was pushed into a double major at college in both mathematics and film, because everybody knows that everybody knows that in order to not become a bum, you need to burn someone out with a double major. That's really going to push them into uh, uh, more and more uh, success and work. 
Uh, Trey Parker said, Matt and I were at the University of Chicago in Boulder in 1992. When you're in the film school, you're working on someone's film every weekend. So you're spending your weekends on set. Matt and I would always end up either running cameras or running sound or something. Shoots are so fucking boring and we would just sit there doing voices for each other. That's where it actually started. We would always talk like these little kids and make each other laugh. So we had a year of doing little skits with the voices before we shot anything. The film department showed student films at the end of the semester. I was like, there should be something Christmassy because these screenings were a few days before Christmas. Always Christmas with them. I don't know what's going on with that. Parker had already done a project that won him an award called American History, which was animated using construction paper cutouts. So they went with this style yet again. And that is how we get to Jesus versus Frosty. The resulting short, Jesus vs. Frosty, featured four kids, all simple, crude versions of our Fab Four main characters. It started that early. They already had the prototypes. Um, you also had an evil snowman come to life, and of course, Jesus Christ battling it out with Frosty to save the day. The design for Cartman was actually called Kenny, and he gets half his face ripped off by Frosty pretty early on, and all the kids drop F-bombs a lot, and it's super dirty, especially for its day. Parker said this about the initial audience reaction at school. It was huge. It was just the fact that there were little kid voices and cute animation and that they were screaming, fuck, people hadn't really seen anything like that before. It was mostly college kids, so we knew our audience. At the time, we were just trying to do something that all our friends and college buddies would think was funny. You know, it kind of reminds me so much of our relationship with cursing in our youth. I mean, I know at least by middle school, I was cursing like a sailor around my friends and, of course, never cursed around my parents. My parents rarely cursed around me, and I kind of know now that they definitely curse pretty, uh, you know, not as much as me for sure, especially if you're familiar with my work on Roundtable Gentlemen or even on my Twitch stream. I'm always like, you know, fuck, dog, fucker or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm calling people dog fuckers and I'm asking people to, you know, suck a dirty fuck or whatever it is. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, like... You know, that was, you know, that was really such a big deal, curses, back in the day. And I think it's changed a lot more now. I think kids are aware of the language earlier. I think there are more parents that curse now than ever did, just as the times change. But I think there's more of an understanding of, like, you can't say these words at school, but you can say these words at home. I don't know, though. Maybe I'm just already admitting that I'm a terrible father. We'll get there, though, with Winnie. We'll see. But, uh, yeah. Just to see little kids cursing, which is like something kids can do for sure. It's, it, but it was so wild even back then to see it uh, happen that it was just uh, mind blowing uh, at this college. What Matt, Trey Parker, Matt Stone did. So then we move forward into uh, we're going to kind of step away from this, but we're going to revisit it in a little bit. Frosty's going to be replaced with with Santa, and that's going to be the short that. I don't know if you guys were aware of it. I know as soon as I started watching South Park on Comedy Central, I became very obsessed with it. And I heard about this, the way they got their show based on this short. We'll get there. But um, I definitely remember that was one of the earliest like things I downloaded on the internet would probably be the Jesus versus Santa short. But before that, they make a whole dang musical via trauma. Did I say dang? I meant damn, because I'm a cursing edge guy fucker face oh it's just me i'm going insane but we're gonna get there we're only on page two so we have a ways to go that's the other thing i had so many pages of notes i was devastated i couldn't do this episode i've worked really hard on this i don't know if you guys noticed but it's kind of a big deal anywho uh cannibal the musical let's get into it along with classmates ian harden and jason McHugh, they founded a production company named the avenging conscience after a movie they all hated <laughs> so that's fun they created a three-minute fake trailer for an unmade movie called alfred packer the musical which is about a real-life prospector from the 19th century that was accused of cannibalism this trailer does really well making the rounds at school which is again another early story of theirs just making something and then it actually like getting passed around from person to person to person until it leads to greater success for these guys so uh, it's making rounds at school and the chairman of the film department convinced them to expand on it they raised over a hundred thousand dollars from family and friends and shot a film which was also a parody of musicals like Oklahoma 
Though Sundance ignored their submission, they went to the festival anyway and showed it at a hotel nearby. And this got them some industry connects as well as a sell to Troma Entertainment who renamed it to Cannibal the Musical. I definitely watched this. So I always talk about this. You might have heard about this before, but we had, you know, Blockbuster Video and then we had the cool video rental store. It's called Vizart Video. And it had a full Troma section. And of course, you know, I was just getting turned on to more stuff from Matt Stone and Trey Parker and came to find out like, oh my God, they made a uh, musical comedy about cannibalism um, and it's a trauma joint because I was already just like getting into all these trauma movies and all this like crazy B film, C film, uh, ultra violent, uh, over the top, dirty humor kind of stuff and so uh, definitely got a hold of Candle Musical. I will say the musical is a lot slower than you think it would be. You think it'd be like a lot more popping, especially if you've seen Bigger, Longer, and Uncut or uh, Book of Mormon. It, it definitely it's the it definitely suffers from pacing issues, but they have some really great moments. I love "Let's Hang the Bastards." We're gonna hang them high, uh, or "Hang the Bastard." Uh, I love that stuff. I think there's some really good, like crazy kind of comedy violence moments that are really strong in there uh love it's a schmidoikali day uh it, it it's got its charm for sure but it's definitely a first early attempt from uh who will become incredibly successful famous uh comedy writers and performers but regardless i digress ophthalmologist dr strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At this point, they're going to get uh, their butts to Hollywood. They rather quickly got set up with an agent, lawyer, and got a script deal when they first got to L.A. They would spend years dirt poor, though, with Matt Stone sleeping on dirty laundry in lieu of a bed for a very long time. So you always think, like, oh, man, these guys had it made. They just keep making these really cool things, and then it gets passed around by word of mouth, and then all of a sudden they're just this overnight success. Well, no, it took a very, very long time, just like it does for so many people trying to break into this business. While there are other pitches and pilots were stuck in production limbo, Parker writes the script for Orgasmo, which they were able to get made. However, the MPAA gave it an NC-17 rating and wouldn't budge on that, so it suffered in the box office as a result. Again, Vizjar Video, thank you so much for carrying copies of Orgasmo. Um, And again, Orgasmo is like, I would say 40% really funny. There's a lot of like great, I mean, I still remember... You know, I mean, it's problematic now, but of course, the I ain't gay or nothing. I'll fuck you in the ass, which is, you know, it is what it is. It, it's got its great moments for sure, and uh, it, it, it's and it is over the top. Is it's about uh, um, you know, a porn actor who ends up becoming a using his powers for good and becoming a superhero. I mean, it's it's built on filth, you know. So of course. I don't know if it needs an NC-17 rating based off of what I saw. I mean, you know, it's definitely very, like, sexual. Of course it would be. It's about a porn star. But regardless, I think it's, like... I think it's important if you're an academic of all of this stuff and you like want to know the history of everything, the DNA, the how how it all, where it all came from, all the steps that, that had to be taken to get to South Park. But is it a great movie? It's a fun ass B movie. I'll tell you that much. Now let's move back to uh, that short. While in L.A., they catch the eye of a dude named Brian Graydon by watching Cannibal the Musical. And at the time, uh, he was an executive of Fox. So Graydon, enjoying that film, approaches them. Trey Parker said... 
Brian was like, show me everything you've done. And we're like, well, here's this cartoon we made. Brian totally loved it. And he's like, can I send this as a Christmas card to everyone? So we sent it to a production house and copied it 100 times on VHS tapes. We're just like, oh, that's cool. He sent it to his friends. They loved that so much that the next year, Brian said, can you make another one? Graydon said, there was no calculation that millions of people would see this and then we'd get a TV series. I wanted to do something cool for the Christmas card. And those guys were geniuses. For something new, Graydon gave them around $2,000 to make something and they went off and made Jesus vs. Santa in 1995. This one was a lot more refined and better established, uh, the four main characters, pointing out Kyle's Judaism, Carbon being a total asshole, and Kenny not actually talking, and had Kyle saying, oh my god, they killed Kenny! This tape makes the rounds and Trey and Matt go viral before it was a term people used. Again, I remember downloading this thing as maybe the first thing I downloaded off the internet. There was no YouTube. There was no, I, you know, I just found out it existed. I looked it up and and I, I think it took like the better part of an afternoon to download, if not longer, so that I could actually watch this little thing, this short um, with these four kids and Jesus battling Santa and it getting really bloody and crazy and that was fucking hilarious to me, you know, especially at that time in my life. So, uh, yes, the tape makes the rounds. They keep ending up in situations where people are like, check this out. And they put it on and they have to let them know, like, we're the guys who actually made that. That's how big this got. And, you know, I think this is too maybe the first example of a show getting big via the Internet. And uh, and word of mouth, and 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 then that's how they actually get their foot in the door and get the show. I mean, I think pretty much every other time before that, you would be kind of like working your way up through the you know Hollywood system, and you kind of get your pitch and you'd make your pitch. This was like, here's the package. The ki- here's the four kids. This is the show. Um, so their name is not actually on the special, uh, which was a bit of an issue up top. And someone even tried to take credit to get a meeting with MTV until Brian Graydon stopped all that. Parker said, the internet was starting to become a thing that people were catching on to. And this was this, and it was this marketing tool for the first time. Spirit of Christmas, because it's so shitty looking in the first place, is something that worked really well on the internet because you could download it quick and it can look like shit and it's okay. That's part of why it was able to be viral on VHS, even though it would degrade. The whole part of the joke of it was how shitty it looked. We got so lucky. They are at their brokest in life while also being the, the it dudes in Hollywood with everyone taking meetings with them. And then they did the whole exact thing where they were skeptical. The dirtiness would translate would not translate to TV and felt the show needed to be about a family, not kids, because they, the executives, know what's best for everyone. And so they get rejected again and again and again. Stop me if you've heard this before. Then they get discovered by Comedy Central's development executive, Debbie Liebling, and then Comedy Central president, Doug Herzog. Brian Graydon said, People don't remember this, but Comedy Central was this tiny also-ran channel without much original content. Certainly nothing scripted that I remember. But being the show that can put a channel on the map is a much more fun position to be in than hoping you can hold on to 100% of a lead-in for Married with Children. And that's how they got in. And I remember this too. Comedy Central was a really cool thing though in its own right back then because it it didn't have a lot of original programming and it wasn't trying to gear itself towards any particular audience as much as it was this like bizarre like vault of great comedy. I would just, um, you know, spend a lot of my childhood summers watching uh, entire afternoons of Comedy Central because they would jump from an old Kids in the Hall episode to a SNL episode from the mid 80s to some old, you know, weird movie to um, God, what else? I mean, we definitely had early pre uh, John Stewart Daily Show. We had, uh, you know, Crank Yankers, I think it was maybe around that time, the puppet prank calls. But a lot of it was like, it was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It was shit that had come out 30 years ago that, uh, you know, I was, I you know, absolutely fabulous and all that kind of stuff. A lot of British stuff, a lot of indie sketch stuff. I mean, it was like this incredible education for me and my youth. But honestly, it's going to be Jon Stewart taking over The Daily Show. And it's going to be South Park that in a large way changes all of that for some better and some worse. So this is how we get to the pilot. Herzog said, 
I do remember the first stupid thing I said to them. Like They said, we're going to kill Kenny every week. And I remember going, wait, is that funny? Like, won't people hate that? Isn't that sad? And I just shut up and let them continue. The brilliance of South Park is there's nothing conventional about it. I love that so much. The pilot titled Cartman Gets an Anal Probe was handmade by Parker and Stone. Uh, they actually, yeah, that was all, like, if you want to go back and look at that craftsmanship, I mean, later they're going to be able to turn this into a whole digital affair and it's not actual collage but it was actual collage in the very beginning. Graydon said, we went to do a focus group. They were asked to rate the pilot on a scale of one to 10. There were ones and twos and threes everywhere. We made three people cry. They were saying that it's inappropriate for children to say those kinds of things. Despite the scores and after I... I have to say, I love that they made the people cry in the room. If I could pay money for the video of that reaction uh, meeting of the feedback meeting with these <laughs> these people, I would, I would, I'd, I'd, I'd give it, a, I'd toss it a, at least a grand to see that video. Despite the scores and after a revision on the ending of the episode requested by Comedy Central, the network went forward with the series. Graydon said, that takes more bravery than people know until they've had those jobs. Herzog said, I bolted up in bed just nights before we put it on air in cold sweat. I swear to God, I was like, wait, can I get arrested for this? Is this legal? (laughs) You have to remember how far the culture has come and how far the needle has moved in a good part of 20 years. There was nothing on TV like this. I don't think anybody understood how funny, how smart, how ingenious it was going to actually be. That is so true. That I mean, okay, so we had The Simpsons, and it was crazy to me even back then, and definitely especially now, that parents were like not letting their kids watch The Simpsons. Bart was too bad, and Homer was strangling him, and they weren't a perfect you know, happy family. And he would say, don't have a cow, man, which was so offensive, right? So, yeah, it was, um, you know, then South Park drops, and it's like, oh, oh, (laughs) this is the real shit parents should be letting their kids watch. I mean, before that, we had Beavis and Butthead. I remember Ren and Stimpy was a little bit... um, a little bit controversial as well for certain parents. My parents never enforced this, uh, and I'm really happy they didn't. I definitely at least, you know, say what you will about my shitty parent. No, I'm just kidding. I love my parents, but um, I will say one great thing about them is like they never kept me from enjoying this kind of stuff. And I felt so bad for kids who were kept from enjoying it. I did get a lot of my dad shaking his head and being like, this is so bad. And like being so like disapproving off to the side of it. But then, you know, he was fucking loving it. He was totally laughing and enjoying it. But, you know, it was like, this is so bad that it's so good. And uh, that was really nice. And we would even watch episodes together and it just really got together on this comedy. And that's, that's a lot of my dad and I's love language um is is comedy and watching funny things together and uh yeah we we did have i think some really fun times with south park but it was a lot and it was unlike anything ever i completely agree and i would totally wake up in a cold sweat as well if i was the person hitting the green light i mean a lot of it being on tv in those early seasons was like i can't believe this is on tv i mean that that was the big discussion was like how are they getting away with this how are they able to have this like this is so over the top you know fucking first episode a a young boy gets anally probed by an alien i mean uh, yeah it, it was legit it was legit So the show debuted on Comedy Central to almost a million viewers, which was huge at the time for Comedy Central. Herzog said, I came from MTV and South Park took off quicker, faster, and with more impact than any sort of rock band or music act that I'd ever seen. It took off like a rocket and it got an immediate, incredible critical response. The first season was made by Parker and Stone at Celluloid Studios in Denver over the course of three months, and they essentially lived there during that time. A single note from the network meant Parker and Stone uh, hand-cutting out construction paper in order to reanimate a tiny sequence, which is kind of hilarious to think about. So it's like they really got it's really a big pain in their ass just to get a tiny little correction from the execs. They contacted Les Claypool to do the theme song. Oh, the best. They were big fans of Primus. I actually did. Um, I didn't. I, I shared a backstage with Matt Stone at a at a Les Claypool show. Um, my buddies, the Reformed Horrors, got to open for Les Claypool's duo to Twang uh, banjo 
show that he was traveling around with. It was so fucking cool. And uh, we actually got to go hang out backstage um, and uh, meet him, meet meet, uh, Les Claypool. It's like this amazing moment in my life. Primus was one of the first bands I ever got into. That was like, I think the first tape I ever bought with my own money was was Primus Pork Soda. I mean, this was a huge deal for me. And Matt Stone was totally there, um, as well as uh, what one of the guys from Ween. It was so surreal. But yeah, they were big Primus fans from the get. And it was so... One of the th- cool things about the show was I was already a Primus fan. So when Les Claypool pops up and is doing the theme, um, I was totally floored. So Les Claypool does the theme song after seeing The Spirit of Christmas and really loving it. The outro is the initial version they sent in, which was deemed too slow. So Matt Stone actually tracked them down on tour, that uh, Primus that is, or like Les Claypool at least, to get Les to redo the song and had to have Claypool sing into a little handheld tape recorder to, sp- uh, um, to a sped up version of his vocals for the new version, which has got to be crazy. So yeah, it's kind of wild. Very, again, just very handcrafted. Another big early get that stood as a staple for the show was Isaac Hayes as chef. He, at first, was reluctant to be a part of it, but it ended up giving his career the second life, both as a musician and a voice actor. Um, And by the end of the season, they were averaging over 5 million viewers. It was a smash hit. Parker said, we thought, it's not going to last. Take it while you can. We really had the attitude of, let's do this as long as we can. Then we will go back to Colorado. And uh, yeah, I can uh, attest to this being this massively huge I mean not since the Simpsons I felt had anything made this big of a splash as like a real cultural game changer in animation and comedy and water cooler talk or uh, lunchroom chatter as it was for me because I was still in middle or high school god I don't even know what what year did the first one come out I I might have even still been in middle school regardless uh they put the, the that season out it's huge Immediately, there's a demand for a lot more, and this led to the boys saying yes to more seasons, also to a movie, and also to a live-action film called Basketball. Parker said, if you notice, seasons two and three are the only ones you'll see other written-by credits. We were doing the movie in 1998 and the show at the same time, so we tried out other writers because we thought that's what you do. They wanted to push barriers, which led to a lot of hassle with the MPAA in order to get that coveted R rating for their film. Stone said, you had to wear them down. That's what always pisses us off about the MPAA, that it's a negotiation. It isn't their standards. It's a negotiation. They had to submit the thing on a weekly basis. According to Stone... You end up doing only one rim job reference because some housewife in the valley is like, okay, one rim job is okay. And that has Saddam Hussein's real penis, but then we made it a dildo, but it's all the same joke. The film came out on the heels, that is South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, came out on the heels of the Columbine Massacre, which caused a temporary panic over the media children were allowed to watch, and more ID checks uh, came about for R-rated films. Stone said, we sold a lot of Wild Wild West tickets. I can attest to this. It was a big deal to get me into the movie theater to watch this movie because I was just underage. I was, or maybe I was well underage. God, I don't know. I think maybe we were... My buddy was driving, so I think we were maybe 16 at least. Uh, and I think I was smoking cigarettes at this point. Don't smoke, kids. Uh, it was a big mistake. Should not have done that. Um, but yeah, the second time I saw the movie in the theater, I remember I got um, very, uh, very. let's just say very high, and uh, went to go with my friend. And um, we were initially told we weren't going to be able to get tickets. Uh, and I remember my buddy actually, I don't know what the fuck he did. He's a good businessman though, uh, nowadays. So maybe he's just got the gift of gap, but he talked this box office lady into selling us two tickets for South Park bigger, longer and uncut. And I got to go see it a second time in the theater, but it was huge. There was a lot of concern and hesitation about even getting a ticket to see it because they really cracked down. Just happened to be right at this time. It was not hard to get into an R-rated movie as a kid before this, as like a teenager at least before this. But yeah, you had to be 18, I believe, uh, at this time, and they made a big fat deal out of it. Because of course, if you watch the musical South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, you're definitely going to probably want to shoot up a school after that. The song Blame Canada, by the way, was nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars, and Parker and Stone, as legend would have it, showed up in dresses and on LSD. I mean... 
the the there is a really good documentary about uh South Park. Um what is it called? South Park documentary, a little look by six days to air. The making of South Park six days to air is so fucking good. I think they talk about it and show footage from it uh, in that, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Uh, might be a different documentary, but anyways, first of all, definitely watch South Park, the making of South Park six days to air. It gives you the whole, their whole creative process to putting a show out, which I will be getting into, but I mean, come on, the, the documentary is going to be a really good companion for sure uh, to this whole spiel I'm doing, um, which is, a good companion to the original version of this done by Jake Young and Mike Lawrence. Uh, but yeah, they definitely <laughs> just look up the footage of them in dress. Like, cause it was already crazy that they showed up in dresses. It was like insane. And then to know in hindsight that they were on loads of LSD for it. Um, I will say also the funny part was they were like, we get out the limo, we're tripping balls. The red carpet's like insane. It's like amazing. We're having so much fun. Everything's going off. Then we like get into the theater and we sit down and the show starts. And then we're just stuck there for like three fucking hours or more. I mean, it's a long ceremony. And it just sounds like after that, it was just horrible for them in every way. And that's just such a funny um, acid trip story because you're like, yeah, let's do this thing on acid. It's going to be crazy. And then you don't, you forget like, oh, wait, we're going to be like stuck in a stuffy theater watching a very self-serious award ceremony for several hours. And it's not going to be fun on acid whatsoever. So regardless, uh, moving on back to the show during the first three seasons, they quickly switched to computer animation using mainly a software called Autodesk Maya, which is used to create assets for interactive 3D applications. That said, it only took a few weeks to get an episode finished back then since they didn't outsource to South Korea and the animation style was so simple. After that, they staffed up even harder. Still only around 70 people uh, and therefore could finish a single episode in one week and sometimes as little as three days. That's how we get to six days to air. This allowed for incredibly current episodes, commenting on stuff that was in the news that same week even. And this was such a unique first for like an animated comedy show like this. I mean, of course, you've got like Weekend Update on SNL, things like that, where they're able to do, you know, talk about current events. But for it to be in half an hour animated show that's bringing shit up that happened a week ago, it was kind of mind-blowing for the time. Uh, And still kind of is, honestly. As early as season four, the episode Quintuplets 2000 referenced a U.S. Border Patrol raid and image from that raid, which had only happened four days prior to airing. The season 12 episode about last night centered on Obama's victory in the 2008 presidential campaign and aired less than 24 hours after Obama was declared the winner and used segments from his actual victory speech. It was a gamble doing this as they were banking on him winning the election, something that backfired for them when it came to the 2016 election, which they had to quickly rewrite and retitle to OG's very last minute. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, up until season 20, Parker Stone and the writers that they amassed would go on a little retreat to pull ideas for the coming season. I've always been jealous about this retreat, though I'm sure if I was a part of it, I would be shitting my pants and very nervous and stressed out the whole time and then probably would have been bad at it. But I've always been really jealous about this retreat retreat that they would go on to uh, brainstorm and stuff. Production begins on a Thursday. Uh, So now we're getting into the process, by the way. I should have uh, said that up top. Uh, Yeah, this is their kind of general process for putting a show together. Production begins on a Thursday with a brainstorm session, including Matt Stone, Trey Parker, and their writing consultants. 
They bring folks on uh, that they like, such as Pam Brady, who went on to write stuff like Hot Rod and Team America World Police, as well as Bill Hader, who I mentioned before, uh, of SNL fame, and now much more, Barry fame as well, and everything else comedy fame. Uh, Even Norman Lear uh, was brought in to uh, help with a couple of episodes in season seven. Uh, They were big fans, and Lear found the show to be amazing. Uh, once they have a basic premise and some base uh, scene ideas, uh, the animators break off and get to work. Which, by the way, Lear was the all in the family guy, right? I believe I'm. I, I didn't write it down, but I'm almost certain. I mean, prolific, incredible, I mean, and especially when it comes to like breaking up societal norms and like fucking with the the status quo, like incredible uh, influence on American TV history in a really positive way. I think. Uh, so once they have a basic premise and some scene ideas, the animators break off and get to work with what they have so far. Parker will then write a script over the next day or so. Then it goes into full production. Parker also handles the majority of the directing duties while Stone helps coordinate production and business stuff. Typically, the animators, editors, technicians, and sound engineers do a 100-hour work week for this. And a completed episode is sent to Comedy Central headquarters on Wednesday via satellite uplink. And this has happened just a few hours before the 10 p.m. ET airtime in the past. The only time they missed a deadline was for season 17's Goth Kids 3 Dawn of the Posers, which was due to a power outage caused by a car accident. Funny thing is that it was the only deadline they were actually going to miss anyway. So it was just this bizarre act of serendipity that gave them more time to complete the ep. Frank Angone, executive producer, said, We can be changing lines at 6, 7 a.m. the day of air. Through the years, uh, it's a tenuous row to hoe and making sure the guys don't feel too much creative pressure, but enough pressure that the reality of making air is always relevant, being uh, that we're six days at a time per episode. It's not even hours here in South Park. We micromanage minutes to maximize what we can get out of every hour every day. For the animation, before the digital animation happens, animatics are drawn in a, on a, in a storyboard software called Toon Boom. Today, the studio runs a 120 processor render farm that can produce 30 or more shots an hour. Though the quality of the animation is greatly improved over the years, they do intentionally use techniques to maintain some of that homemade quality. There are also a couple of episodes that incorporate different animation styles. You may remember uh, Good Times with Weapons, which has the boys in anime form. Love that episode uh, of course another classic make love not warcraft uh, this incorporates machinima techniques uh, to get the in-game world of warcraft scenes another absolute classic banger south park episode uh, getting into the voice acting it is primarily done by matt stone and trey parker parker does stuff like stan cartman uh randy marsh and mr garrison stone does kyle kenny and butters among many others Initially, a woman named Mary Kay Bergman, under a pseudonym, as she was also known for voicing a lot of Disney characters at the time, did the majority of the female characters until her untimely death in November of 1999. After that, Mona Marshall and Eliza Schneider took over, the latter of which was replaced by April Stewart after the seventh season. Initially, guest stars just made animal noises, like in the case of George Clooney, love this part of the... Lore of South Park. George Clooney loved the show and was known for having hundreds of those tapes of that first Christmas special that he handed out to friends. Uh, and uh, who uh, he asked a guest on the sh- on the uh, on the show and was given the part of a dog that only barks. The first celebrity guest voice that went past that was oddly Natasha Henstridge. Uh, they were huge fans of her starring role in the weird, horny alien film Species from the 90s and just wanted an excuse to meet her. Also, Norman Lear, who helped out in the writer's room, also voiced Benjamin Franklin. Lear said, uh, there's uh, nothing like South Park anywhere. I never did anything like it. It's all by itself. I look at South Park and I'm confident it is adding time to my life. What a beautiful quote. The show's original score composer is Adam Barry, who used sound synthesis to simulate a small orchestra and has a solid grasp on how to make songs sound similar to other famous ones and is great at mimicking genres for parody's sake. He's also a member of the band DVDA, the punk band that Trey Parker and Matt Stone put together. Now you're a man, 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 man. Now you're a man, 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 man. One of my favorite things about the film Orgasmo is that 
uh, that song, Now You're a Man, which opens up the movie and is so funny. I used to sing it with my friends all the time at school. Uh, they have since gone on to do stuff like the cover of Poker Face uh, that Cartman does for the episode Whale Whores and Uncle Fucker from Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, which I already gave shout outs to. Parker does vocals and keyboards and Stone does vocals, bass, guitar, and drums. It's a fun story. I'm surprised I didn't put this into my notes, but... There's this hilarious anecdote about them taking a meeting with Comedy Central in New York City. And, uh, you know, when they go, uh, they're in town for the weekend. And the execs there were like, yeah, we can get you in at whatever club you want. Do you want, like, tickets to, like, a, a concert or something like that? And they were just like, musicals. We just want to see we, we want to see Cats. We want to see Phantom of the Opera. We want to see. And just was like, just can you get us tickets to all these musicals? And they were like, I thought these were, like, crazy, wild dudes that would make this Santa versus Jesus crazy short and everything. We thought these were like party club guys or something. And all they want to do is see <laughs> wholesome musicals on Broadway. Just very funny. And, and and that they did apparently all through that weekend. So um after 2001, uh, for the for the musical st- uh, end of things, after 2001, the score was taken over by Jamie, Jamie Dunlap and Scott Nicolay uh, at the L.A.-based Mad City Production Studios. And since 2008, Dunlap is the show's only composer and is one of the few people that doesn't work at their big studio in Culver City, instead emailing the audio file to them after reading a script and scoring it. A lot of the initial songs were written by Parker and performed by Chef, a.k.a. Isaac Hayes, as a way to teach the children about something. In season two's episode, Chef Aid, Rick, James, Elton John, Meatloaf, Joe Strummer, Ozzy Osbourne, Primus, Rancid, and Ween all lent their talents, and we all had that CD back in the day, right? You had the Chef Aid CD, right? You, you weren't a cool kid if you didn't have a Chef Aid CD. And some Pogs, you know what I'm talking about? At least an OJ Slammer or two. Uh, so let's get into some of the many controversies that uh, the show has, of course, would swirl around the show throughout its time of being what it is. So they like to push the limits, of course, in good and questionable ways. But a fun one was after media attention around the show, Chicago Hope's single use of the word shit. They had a counter in the episode, It Hits the Fan, which used the word in vocal or written form 194 times. And I loved this when this happened. This was such a huge deal, and I couldn't believe it happened. Very, very fun. Uh, One of the first big controversies was around an episode called Trapped in the Closet in 2005, in which Tom Cruise is trapped in a closet, literally, and the story of Xenu from Scientology, uh, something that the cult tries to hide from the general public, is retold via Stone and Parker. In March of 2006, Isaac Hayes ends up leaving the show, citing the show's attitudes towards various religions, which Parker and Stone contribute attribute to Trapped in the Closet. Uh, Isaac Hayes is a known Scientologist. Stone said, when we did the Scientology episode, Isaac Hayes uh, came over and I sat with him. It was like a day or two after, and it was pretty obvious from the conversation that somebody had sent him to ask us to pull the episode. It had already gone on the air, and we didn't tell him because he didn't wa- we didn't want him to be held accountable. Plausible deniability. Isaac Hayes third says that Isaac Hayes did not quit South Park. Someone quit South South Park for him. What happened was that in January 2006, my dad had a stroke and lost the ability to speak. He really didn't have that much comprehension, and he had to relearn to play the piano and a lot of different things. He was in no position to resign under his own knowledge. At the time, everybody around my father was involved in Scientology, his assistants, the core group of people. So someone quit South Park on Isaac Hayes' behalf. We don't know who. Stone and Parker now agree with this stance. So that is really fucked up and really sad because I remember a lot of people being pretty bummed out that Isaac Hayes uh, was unable to continue doing the show and um, it being connected to Scientology was so shitty and and, uh, heartbreaking. Maybe the biggest one, though, if you remember this, was the Muhammad controversy, which centered around the season 10 episodes Cartoon Wars Part 1 and Cartoon Wars Part 2, which had a plot point involving the show Family Guy and an uncensored cartoon depiction of the Islamic prophet Muhammad. 
In the second episode, uh, a scene depicting Muhammad was replaced with a card that read, Comedy Central has refused to broadcast an image of Muhammad on their network. Stone and Parker were upset at this, and Parker even showed a ticket to South America to the head of the network as a sort of threat to do what Dave Chappelle had recently done when he quit his show and left the country. But in the end, they gave up on the whole thing. Parker said, we were so exhausted by it all. We were like, fuck it. Just get on to the next episode. That was the hardest we've ever pushed back. They did another episode plot in this vein in their 200th episode, and the depiction of Muhammad was censored throughout the episode, but led to a leader of a radical Muslim organization to threaten the guys. The episode after that, Super Best Friends, had also had them speaking of Muhammad, which was bleeped, and the episode was not put on streaming sites. So a lot of give and take with this. It was a huge issue back then. Um, It still can kind of be, but it was especially a huge deal at that point, for sure. And now let's talk about, you know, they hit it out of the park left and right. I mean, they want to make movies, they make great movies. They want to make a TV show, they make great TV shows. And they want to make a video game, and they eventually make a great video game. Of course, uh, we've got some road bumps in the way, for sure, on that. But let's talk about the Stick of Truth. Before the Stick of Truth, uh, my God, there were some terrible South Park games. Um, I will say that Comedy Central had a Flash website, of or a website of Flash games, and uh, the South Park games on that were pretty fun, but they were very simple, rudimentary but I did play the shit out of them back at a time when that was like a huge deal to be able to play a South Park Flash game on on the internet. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, the N64 shooter, holy shit, it starts you out in the forest shooting turkeys. It sucked ass, and I played so fucking much of it because I was a teenager, and it was South Park. I was like really, really wanting that game to be awesome, and I remember playing it like during Christmas time, uh, because I remember it was cold outside, and I don't know. I just I, I have a weird, very specific memory of of of, uh, of enjoying that or not enjoying that game on an N sixty four. But I played the fuck out of it anyway. Also, I barely remember Chef's Love Shack on the Dreamcast. Uh, this was just a bunch of mini games. Later in two thousand nine, Parker and Stone, both gamers in their own right, approached Obsidian Entertainment, makers of Fallout New Vegas, in order to make a game in their favorite genre, RPG. The final script uh, of this game was something like 500 pages long, which the guys wrote and closely worked with Obsidian on. Stone said, We write jokes and the jokes are funny. With a game, the 4th, 5th, 6th, 80th, 100 millionth time you've seen that joke, it becomes not funny. Then you lose faith in it. And then you question it. And you go around this emotional circle. We've always liked fresh-baked stuff a little better. But with a video game, it doesn't work that way. The game feels in every way like you're playing an episode of the show. And I think that's what really drew me to it at first. And the technology had finally gotten there where like it just feels and looks like an episode of South Park. And like you're moving through that town just like you would if you had control over the TV show. And it was kind of a mind blower at the time. I mean, I know it's simple animation, but still they just nailed that game feel of I'm in the TV show so fucking well every space in that show every or in that game every every little movement you know that the characters make just was so authentic to the show the 2002 episode the return of the fellowship of the ring to the two towers was a big influence in terms of the character costumes and classes they went full fantasy it was a lot of fun the sequel they go full uh, you know cinematic superhero cinematic universe but uh in that first one it was like super just straight up RPG, almost JRPG. I mean, it's a lot of, you know, menu combat and stuff like that 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 felt very JRPG. And, uh, you know, the fantasy setting within the town was a perfect choice, I think. The the guys put up money at first to get the game off the ground, uh, so you know that they believed in it. Then the publisher THQ took the game on, and, uh, but had to file for bankruptcy during its development, which led to the sale of the rights to Ubisoft. Ubisoft delayed the game further for changes to be made before it was released finally in 2014. The sequel, Fractured But Whole, played off of, of course, that MCU stuff and uh, had a bit more of a grid-based Fire Emblem style almost. 
uh, type of attack, which I did quite enjoy. It definitely wasn't as good as Stick of Truth, but I did play it all the way through and did enjoy it. But yeah, Stick of Truth was a bit of a revelation. I mean, the comedy was amazing. The gameplay was super fun. The way that they handled all that stuff, summons and all that kind of stuff was great. And it had that over-the-top, eye-popping humor that you know you came to know and love from the franchise. Ubisoft chose to develop uh, the game, um, the Fractured Butthole sequel, internally at Ubisoft San Francisco. That was released in 2017. So here we go, getting more towards the present. A, play Stick of Truth. B, watch Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. And there's so many great episodes. I mean, I can't begin. You know, I love the World of Warcraft episode. That's like oh, such a good one. That first season's kind of burned into my brain. There's just too many episodes to count. It's also just like watch the news stuff because that's what's commenting on what's going on right now, you know? I mean, also the the Kanye one with the fish or whatever. Uh, but anyways, uh, up to now, very recently, um, at the time of the recording a year ago, at least, Trey Parker and Matt Stone signed a $900 million deal for six more years of South Park. They intend to create 14 spinoff movies as well as new episodes for the streaming service Paramount+. Plus. They're also attempting to purchase the real Casa Bonita that is featured in the show. Matt Stone said, I just turned 50 this year. In some ways, we are out of touch. The one thing that unites us whenever we come back into the writer's room is just being unreasonably emotionally interested in the movie industry. What movies were to us and are now seem so far apart. And there seems to be some deep cultural criticism of America nestled in it. If we did an episode right now, it would for sure be about Space Jam 2. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm sure they're going to be dealing with like multiverse shit as we move uh, forward with the ridiculous amount of it going on. Not just Space Jam, but, you know, Marvel's new direction. That makes so much sense. And uh, it also makes a lot of sense for me to probably stop talking because I've been talking for an hour straight. Are you fucking serious right now? Uh, we did it. Um, if uh, this wasn't a full hour for you guys, that was probably because uh, at one point I had to order a salad uh, for pickup so that I could go eat after this um, before my big stream with Jackie. I'm recording this on a Friday. This was a lot of fun. I definitely um, really appreciate Jake being my co-host and would never not not normally do this, I think. But this was a really fun challenge for me. And I'm just so happy to get to comb through all of those notes and talk about this franchise that I absolutely love so much. I mean, the video games, the movies, the... You know, I've just been there for the whole ride, and so it really bummed me out as one of, I think, such a fundamental episode for Wizard and the Bruiser uh, that I had to miss out on it, especially because I, I just went through eight pages of notes. That's actually, like, on, on the thicker side of notes for me. Usually, little peek behind the curtain, I think five is, like, the average, like, five to six. So, eight is a lot. I put a lot of work into that, <laughs> into these eight pages. And so I'm glad to finally get to, um, you know, let that work pay off a little bit, not just be this thing buried under um, what has been a wild year of being a new father. And Winnie, I love you so much. And I'm so happy uh, you're turning one. And uh, I'm so happy I couldn't do that episode so we could have you. But it is nice to come back and uh, get to uh, just yell into a microphone about South Park for an hour. Well, anyways, right now I'm on vacation. That's why we did this. Uh, we're going to be back soon with uh, you know more current uh, Whizbrew content. I'm so excited. If you're listening to this at the time of the recording, I'm so excited to get into uh, October. We have like a really fun uh, bunch of spooky episodes for you guys. I'm really excited to get into. And just thank you for everything this year. Thanks for, you know, it's it's listeners like you that, that allow me to do what I love for a living and uh, support uh, a wife and a child. So just thank you guys for everything. If you'd like to support me further, check me out twitch.tv forward slash Holden Nature's Ho. Uh, I do streams on Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. I'm not sure at the uh, when this episode comes out. I'm not sure how much I'll be streaming, but I'll definitely be back on that schedule as soon as vacation is officially done. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. 
Also, uh, please, if, to support the show more, more importantly, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly bonus content for just $5 a month. It's such a steal. And for $15 a month, you can join us on our Discord for our Sunday study session where we talk about whatever we're covering for that episode. Like, we watched a bunch of South Park episodes. I remember that study session well, actually. We watched a bunch of South Park episodes and had a fucking blast. So, consider it. Check it out. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. And you know what? Shout out to Jake. YouTube.com forward slash Puppet Jared. Check out his VTuber streams. They're phenomenal. Jake, I miss you uh, probably more than ever having done a full solo episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. All right, y'all. Have a good one. And always remember... Never stop whizzing and keep on bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.